So hello and welcome to the New Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Hodgson, and today I'm delighted to be joined by the CEO of Atlas Network, Mr. Brad Lips. How are you doing, Brad? Real good. Thanks for having me on, Glenn. It's an absolute pleasure. So let's just begin by just sort of going through a little bit about, you know, liberal democracy. Uh, what's going on at the moment? How is this being challenged? And particularly in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, what's changed and what's coming up? Yeah, so I, mean, I think that the sad truth is that uh, illiberalism was on the rise back in 2019. Um, I think we've, we've seen that on the political left and the political right, making many of us who don't identify with either um, rather nervous about the future. And uh, the pandemic, uh, the dynamics of COVID-19, I think, have enabled um, some of those illiberal tendencies to, to really run wild. Um, yeah, certainly, there's a good pretext for governments amassing more power um, during emergencies than, uh, than in normal times. The challenge is um, to make sure that we treat these as emergencies and that normal times resume. So I, I wrote this book really with the, um, the idea that we, we need a little bit of a, maybe a wake up call to realize this is not just a global health crisis, this is a global freedom crisis. Yeah. And people who, um, who share this uh, belief that free people tend to work out solutions better than top-down government mandates pan out, um, that we need to be um, going back on the offensive and, and fighting for our values, really standing up for um, the, the idea that uh, you, you shouldn't be trying to um, impose one-size-fits-all solutions um, on uh, on businesses and on individuals and on schools, and yeah. we really need to celebrate the the um, you know the the way that free people work out solutions through um, different innovations and experiments. And uh, it's messy, but it tends mm. to um, produce better outcomes. So uh, let's let's not ignore those uh, um, those truths that have been discovered over centuries and need to be uh, really um, brought to the fore now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you you really hit the nail on the head there in terms of a very important point, which is, you know, nothing's more permanent than the temporary measure. And we've seen sort of governments and uh, authorities around the world sort of taking this opportunity to put things in place, but very little uh, uh, desire to remove them now as the uh, uh, as the pandemic is uh, uh, is receding certainly in certain places uh, and and i think that sort of the, the the watchword here is vigilance and the fact that sort of it it needs to be done needs to be sort of focused uh, shining a light on the problems that are that, that are that are arising but also pushing for freedom uh basically most countries are sort of experiencing the same issues at the moment brad yeah, and, and I think that um, it's really important just to come in with a with a balanced uh, view of the different trade offs. You know, I wouldn't want anyone to think that we want to ignore that the very serious risks that are inherent in COVID nineteen. But I think that a single minded focus, because this is you know the can be a rallying cry for um, for politicians. They know this is what they're being judged on at the moment, and I, I think that some of the measures they've taken to mitigate that risk. Have been at the expense of you know a, a, a tremendous number of categories of challenges that people haven't been able to navigate. You know, their you know mental health issues, um, yeah. you know, uh, just sustaining the business that is uh, you know, crucial for their family's well-being. Um, all these things have been sort of subjugated to to one very politically potent challenge, 
And I think that's been really destructive. And um, you know, we just need to get back into the habit of evaluating opportunity costs. You know, that's what good economists do. Yeah. And that's what really has been missing from the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're, we're living through this uh, pandemic. And of course, at the same time, this uh, um, increase in the use and reliance on uh, uh, technology. Can you say a little bit, Brad, about what the, uh, the the role that technology is playing here, either good or bad, within this uh, within the freedom movement? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess it's really tough to come up with a, a blanket verdict on on technology writ large. Um, I think you know, one of the big challenges that we have in, um, in, in getting people to reappreciate liberal values is that uh, you know, the algorithms uh, that that drive the way that we consume information these days. Um, you know, tend not to uh, feed us um, uh, healthy information. They're sort of the junk food version of the news. <laughs> and I think that we, we don't get measured um, um, sort of rational opinions much of the time. Um, you know, our, the, the media technology that we're all surrounded by tends to, um, you know, uh, amplify the most discordant voices that are kind of feeding the tribalism of the moment. So there's definitely yeah. problems out there, but I, I think it would be a big mistake not to just pause and reflect on the incredible role of technology in helping us get through these challenges. And you know, I, I know that my organization is not alone in having had to really reinvent how we uh, how we work together, um, yeah. the workplace culture has been transformed by technology. It's an amazing thing that we've been able to get through the intense challenges of the pandemic as well as we have. And that's really due to embracing new innovations and, and exploring new technologies. Yeah, absolutely. So there's like everything, there's balance and moderation needs to be, uh, to, to be adopted in the approach that we're taking here as well. And I think you know, if we move on a little bit to, to, to look at some of the, the impact of these trends, and particularly on the, when we look towards the labor market, Brad, what can we say about this in terms of the impact and also the, uh, the, the repercussions as we go uh, into the future on this? I do think this is one of the really interesting areas. Um, so I'm, I'm glad there's a you know a focus of, of uh, where your conversations are these days because yeah. so much is at stake. Um, I think that the uh, one of the great things that we have seen uh, through technology during the pandemic is an increase in labor market flexibility and right. um, you know companies reinventing how they can be more accommodating of the particular needs of particular employees. And this is just a, a wonderful. Um, evolution of, of how we do business and how we um, uh, structure our work lives. Yeah. The danger, I think, is that the, the conceit still exists within most governments that there is um, always something to fix and there's always a best way that, um, uh, that may sound smart in the abstract, but the downstream impacts of creating a one-size-fits-all solution yeah. tend to have a lot of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, the things that we're seeing in the US, which always has had um, sort of a high degree of labor market flexibility relative mm. to Europe, certainly, is that um, you know, companies have become so much more generous in terms of accommodating um, you know, uh, family leave and the, the needs of, of yeah. women after pregnancy and so on. Um, this is happening voluntarily, um, mm. but there is a move to impose um, uh, mandates so that there's no flexibility about how companies navigate this. And I think this is just really short-sighted and, and part of why women have thrived in the workplace in, in the US um, 
you see many more uh, female CEOs today than you did 20 years ago is really because of the flexibility um, that's inherent there. And, and while, you know, yeah. parts of Europe have super generous sort of mandated leave policies that um, people may enjoy on average, it winds up having, a, a, you know, a sort of unseen effects in how people measure, you know, whether this new female hire is going to be here for the long term and how much yeah. they can count on her. And that's pernicious. And then the more yeah. that we let people work things out voluntarily, the better. So I think it's a, it's a really fascinating thing because the uh, uh, the pandemic and the technology we've embraced really enables more flexibility. Yes. Um, it would be a shame if we go in the opposite direction public policy-wise. Absolutely, yeah. The public policy, the regulation needs to catch up and actually sort of realize uh, the new paradigm in which we're working in, Brad. And I think this is the thing that, you know, it's very simple and uh, I wouldn't say lazy, but easier to sort of go back to the traditional way of doing things and the traditional mindset, despite the fact that the kind of genie's out of the bottle, things have moved on and, and, and it doesn't seem to be going back anytime soon. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, one of the things that um, really uh, got me interested in the, the ideas of freedom and how they work out was uh, 25 years ago, I was working on Wall Street and looking at um, the evolution of staffing services uh, right. companies. And you know that they often were you know, pilloried for providing you know, not great jobs and so on. But when you actually looked at um, their profit models, it was all based on trying to make their um, you know, uh, employees become more desirable, teach them yeah. skills as they were getting experience. And it seemed to me that this was a great example of how the free market incentivizes um, uh, you know, organizations, uh, in this case, the staffing companies, to, yeah. um, to help workers in a real way. Whereas, you know, labor unions fight for benefits, but sort of at the expense of excluding others from that particular Absolutely. part of the labor market. And um, I just think more people have to look at the way that the free enterprise system tends to evolve innovative solutions we wouldn't have thought of, um, you know, from uh, from a central planner perspective. Yeah. So we have to sort of trust that um, that experimentation that happens in markets really does lead to better outcomes on all sides, including for workers. Mm, absolutely. I think this bottom up approach as opposed to uh, almost a totalitarian viewpoint that, you know, we we are as the government or a labor union, we, we know what's best for all workers. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a great theme that you raise there about sort of one size doesn't fit all uh, uh, in, in almost all situations. And therefore, this flexibility is something that's uh, that's needed and required. And we've got this great opportunity now that the the, the mindsets and the technology. Um, you know, a, a wise man once said, "Never waste a good crisis." And I think that uh, you know, if there's one thing that could come out of this uh, uh, terrible pandemic, it's the sort of the openness and the flexibility which can be facilitated. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we should look for silver linings here um, and, and say that uh, we've learned a few things during the pandemic. And I think one is that sort of yeah, rigid top-down solutions um, you know, tend not to work as well as the, the resiliency you, you see from your private actors in, in the economy. Um, I think that you also see that there's going to be a real hunger to get economic growth moving again and that um, you know, countries in, in Europe should be uh, looking to be um, competitive in how do you drive more openness? You know, we, uh, we we don't have to agree that there's sort of a libertarian utopia out there, but I think we 
can look at history and say that what we learned from East and West Germany, what we learned from North and South Korea, is that if you inject a little more freedom and, and markets into a system, the healthier it becomes, the more you turn towards statism, you tend to, to poison what um, uh, uh, happens in a society. And you could probably, you know, at the extremes, maybe there's some, some uh, problems on the, on the free market side, we can debate that. But mm. where we are today, I think that, that the lesson really needs to be, let's, let's look for ways to be more resilient, less top down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think these are great themes that you, you, you touch upon in, in your book, Liberalism and the Free Society in 2021. So I would really like to see, hear a little bit more uh, about the uh, findings and particularly what should governments here in Europe be doing to address these, Brad? Yeah, well, so you know, my book kind of takes a, um, a broad brush look at the challenges that we have coming out of the pandemic. Um, it does introduce this new empirical tool that I worked on with a couple of other uh, scholars called the Global Index of Economic Mentality. Right. And this really has as the basis that um, you know, we, we know um, uh, through a lot of empirical re research through the years that economic growth uh, correlates pretty well with economic freedom. Um, well, this uh, tool looks at whether economic mentality is tied to economic freedom. That is to say, um, do you need to have a, a broad appreciation within the population to, um, for why free enterprise tends to produce more efficient outcomes um, than, uh, than socialism, mm. um, is that important to preserving the kinds of policies that let businesses grow and innovate? And, um, and, and I think that this, uh, this tool is kind of interesting in showing where um, economic mentality is on the rise and where it's receding. Mm. Um, there are, uh, one of the interesting findings is that um, if you look only at respondents to this worldwide survey under the age of 40, and yeah. do the analysis of which countries are the most free market in their orientation. It's countries in Eastern Europe that are leading the pack, which is a very um, interesting finding, I think. Yeah. It gives me a little hope for the future. Um, <laughs> much of the rest of the book is really exploring through some conversations with um, wonderful experts I get to work with uh, globally um, as we look sort of continent by continent at some of the um, particular challenges um, that are that are being faced coming out of the pandemic. Mm. And again, a, a lot of our European colleagues were focused on um, this this great challenge of you know how, how do you um, just foster greater um, uh, economic growth and um, and how do we um, energize people to be interested in sort of the um, that the liberal mindset at a time when it's much um, where sort of the tribalism of populist politics has a strong appeal. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, the, the, certainly a big, big challenge with many dimensions to it. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that we're, we've got to this stage now where by the sort of the liberalism and freedom were kind of taken for granted for so long that this was the right path. But as you say, we've come to this time now where people are questioning there's forces which are pushing against this so now more than ever before it's important to stand up realize the situation here and you know maybe make make these uh, messages clearer uh, have more voices showing that this is really honestly the only way forward in terms of uh, uh, development growth and prosperity uh, globally 
Yeah, and you know, one of the, the, the points that I try to make is that um, I think many of us who care about um, these sort of economic principles have made the mistake of arguing purely on terms of economic efficiency. And right. what I think is really important is for us to um, be a little more uh, courageous and maybe a little just more um, unashamed to talk about the, the moral vision that really animates um, the, um, the the work that we do and the um, and the and the vision that we're trying to achieve, which mm. is really all about the dignity of the individual. Um, it's a, a um, it's a, an inclusive vision. I think people often have this idea that if you are working for economic freedom, that means that you're working for people with, you know, on, on behalf of people with economic means, you're serving right. the rich. But that's not the case at all. Um, you know, the, the reason that I've been in this game for a quarter century has been that, you know, I understand that, that the people who are the most victimized by a lack of opportunity and, um, and uh, societies where it's a political process that rewards uh, uh, people, um, the, the people who are most disadvantaged by that are the poor, who are kept dependent, who are not given um, paths out of, out of, uh, out of poverty. Um, so let's get real explicit about that and let's stand mm. up to the, the problems that we see in illiberal regimes like China that um, yep. uh, have made some moves towards markets through the years, but who now are clamping down in a really uh, horrifying way and um, uh, abusing human rights. And um, this should be part of our message. And I think that if we take it to um, a broad population that is pretty disaffected by the empty promises of the populace of the left and the yeah. right we'll mm. see that you know we're, we're we're a pretty common sense crowd us in the liberal community and yeah. we believe in the future and the, the role of technology to enable more choices and this is mm. a, a hopeful vision that people should be getting on board with yeah absolutely so it's it's hearts and souls as well as minds that's the sort of the uh the the, the the field of battle we need to be sort of playing for uh, within the, uh, the the discussions, but also getting more people on board. But I think it's great that you point to this fact that the the the, the younger generation uh, are basically tuning into this and realizing the, uh, the 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 opportunities for society, but also personally in terms of uh, freedom openness and personal choice and all these these great things that so many of us have taken for granted. Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly it. And part of what I've um, come to think is that in um, in Western Europe and in the U.S., we're uh, we have the luxury of living in a pretty abundant society. What people are starving for, in some ways, is a sense of meaning, and uh, that the 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 statists tend to fill that void by identifying enemies and wanting to use the political process to to punish their their enemies, whether that's the the rich 1% or it's uh, foreigners taking your jobs. Um, th that those are pretty appealing uh, messages that at least um, you know, appeal to a sense of, I, I wanna fight for what's right and against uh, what's wrong. Um, yeah. But I think they're misdiagnosing the problem. So it's, it's really important for the, the liberal community to step up and reveal that we're not just um, you know, technocrats um, yeah. uh, looking at economic efficiency, we're also fighting for a, a vision of what an open society looks like. And yeah. I, never in my lifetime has it been more under threat than it mm. is today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's sort of, I think it goes back to the thing as well, Brad, that people have kind of taken it for granted that this is the approach that it was taken, but uh, slowly, 
but surely this has been sort of clawed back and a lot of the certainties that we that we had 10 15 years ago have been called into question so it's really important to keep uh, making the case uh, spreading the message and also underlining the importance of uh, uh, of what's happening but also the the right approach to be taken uh, in terms of organizing society but giving the opportunities to individuals as well yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, that there's an, an, emergency, an emerging consensus, sorry, that um, seems to say we're going to be uh, less free. That's the new normal. Um, you know, the point of this book is that that is not preordained. There are people all over the world that are working creatively to, um, to make sure that's not the case and to make sure that the, the 2020s goes down as a decade which actually saw increases in human freedom. Yeah. So uh, let's get active and, uh, and um, do what we can to make that a reality. Absolutely, and as you say, everything's in play. Uh, nothing's decided here, but like everything in life, you need to continually be pushing for it uh, and exercising your right and demanding uh, these things. And I think that your book, really uh, lays out very clearly the choices that are there, but also uh, an ideal for living in terms of organization and what the, uh, the benefits are. So fantastic for sharing your time here, Brad, but also more broadly, the fantastic work that Atlas Network is doing in bringing this to bear for individuals and societies across the globe. Oh, thanks so much, Glenn. It's been a pleasure to talk with you this morning. Thank you.